Welcome to Church Online. I am so excited that you have joined us this morning. I'm Pastor Matt. I pray that our worship will be exciting and uplifting. I pray that the ministry of the Word will work in your heart and that the Lord will do something special. Thank you again for joining us and enjoy the service. Let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And this is going to be an interesting message. And you're like, aren't they all interesting? <laughs> but it is, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting topic. I'll say this. If I controlled topically my messages or the things that I preached, I would avoid this chapter like the plague. Uh, in its specific uh, context, I would say, um, you know, there's more light that's shed on it because we've been building up to it. Um, but I think you'll see, it's just my nature and where I come from, I, I avoid talking about it. I avoid talking about finances and money. And from, from this context, it's, I think you're going to see it like Paul has a, not a chip on his shoulder, um, but he uh, specifically is, is going to defend himself. And it's almost like he's backed into a corner a little bit. And just by virtue of reading Paul's letters, uh, that's, not, that's not a place you want him to be. Uh, you don't, you know, I wouldn't want to get into a spat or a match with this guy. I mean, he's got, uh, he's got skills for sure uh, and a Holy Spirit that is leading him in a strong way. Um, so anyway, but we know he was good at, at rhetoric and all of that. He was a rhetorician. Um, but that being said, it is, uh, it, it is an interesting chapter, and it's going to take a, a, a minute to get to the place where we tie it in with chapter 8, and it's going to broaden our perspective. So chapter 8, 9, 10, and 11 are all about Christian liberty. So we entered into a new section of this book where Paul is talking about maybe things that um, are okay for you to do, things that are uh, acceptable, and you know you have freedom to do them. It's not necessarily a right or wrong issue, so it would be okay for you to do that, but hey, it might not be the best thing. And, and most of the time in, in the church that, uh, that I've been a part of, we, we tend to justify. We tend to say like, well, I can do that, or that's not a big deal, or you, you know what I mean? Like we're, we're looking for someone to co-sign our behavior uh, just because we really want to do it. Thank you so much. God bless you. You're all, I love your stars there. You're so festive. Yeah, so I love it. Um, I'll, I'll stop right there. Stop embarrassing, or else it's going to get worse for me later. You know what I mean? <laughs> but anyway, uh, it's, I'm, I'm trying to remember where I was going with all that. Oh, yeah, so we... We really get in this, this place where we're like, okay, I want to do X, fill in the blank. Like, there's, there's hot button issues, you know. For Paul in chapter 8, it was, they asked the question, yo, can we eat meat offered to an idol? Can we do that? Is that okay? Well, yeah, because that idol is fake, and it's just meat. You can boil it down to its first principle and see that there's really nothing inherently wrong with having a nice steak. And if you're getting it on a discount because it was offered in a temple, you know, earlier that day, uh, who cares? But then he's like, look, if somebody sees you eating that in that said temple, then they're going to think you're stepping out on your faith. 
And what, what kind of message is that going to send? Well, now, now, we're, now we're in a, what we would consider a gray area. Now what we do doesn't have to be just based on right or wrong. It has to be based on influence and impact. And is this going to hurt someone? Is this going to harm someone? And, and I think this is where sometimes our American culture, we'll just hit on that here and there. I'll, I'll pepper it in because it's July 4th. Oh, that's good. Uh, you know, we, we have this, this thought that we have rights and we're proud and this is how we do it. And you know what I mean? Like I kind of wanted to have like my, it, but it was more important that you were here, Jeremy. But, you know, the, the thought of like having like red, white, and blue bibbed overalls and strapping my 45 to my hip and hashtag America, you know what I mean? Like I really like that, you know? There's a part of me that I would do that all the time. You know, I, you know, I have a little hillbilly in me, and you know, it is what it is. And I'm like, dude, what's wrong with you? You don't like that? You don't even shoot guns, bro. What's wrong with you? <laughs> but I, I have that tendency. But you know what? I have to be careful. Why do you have to be careful? That's who you are. But that might not be who they are. And there's a message here of the gospel that's important that it reaches their heart. And if it never reaches their heart because of my outfit, then I might need to evaluate. Now, now it's a balance. Why? Because there are other people that, that are different than me that might be better suited to reach them. And I, I have to find some sort of common ground where I am authentic and I am who I am and, and yet not do it in such a way that's off-putting. So it's, it's, can someone see the, the complexity in this. But here's what Paul does, and this is what he often does. He gets to the heart of the matter. He starts in chapter 8, and he, and, he, and he starts down this path of saying, okay, I want to break this down for you, and I want to show you that there's freedom for you to eat that meat. Just because you're not a Jew, and you don't have those dietary laws, it's, it's okay for you to do that, but you should do these things in consideration with others. And how does Paul end chapter 8? He's like, listen, if it's me, guess what? I'm not going to eat meat. Just go vegan. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> really? Is that how we're going to do this thing, Paul? And, but we already know. He's already been doing it. When he talked about marriage, and he's going to bring it up again here in this chapter, it was like, look, if I'm engaged, I think it's better for me to just leave it right there and not actually get married. Because if, if I get married, guess what? I'm going to be entangled with a wife and children, and I've got missionary journeys to do. I've got fundraising to do. I've got to help the poor Jewish churches and we've got richer Gentile communities that, are, that I'm going to go and evangelize and bring those finances. That's the major part of his ministry, which most don't know. So Paul is like, for me, the better idea is to just not get married because I'm going to do more ministry that way. But if the Lord leads you in your heart to marry, then get married. It's a good gift. Do you see, do you see what's happening here? So, but, but he continues through chapter 8 through chapter 11, to get to the heart of the matter, the crux of the matter. And here's what I'm going to say to you today. We have a spirit of entitlement in our churches. We have a spirit of entitlement, guess what, in our nation. We think that we have the rights uh, to everything and we have to do nothing because we were born here. And it's, it's crippling us. And mind you, it's probably the same spirit in the same places. In our churches, we cannot allow this spirit of entitlement to creep in and infect and affect 
and then the carnage and the fallout continues. So that's really what he's addressing here. But he's going to do it through a way that is uh, somewhat awkward for me. But I digress. Let's jump in. First uh, Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to read verses 1 through 3. If you have your Bibles, you can read along. Or if you're in the program, that's fine too. You can follow along there. Paul says this. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? <laughs> he's coming out swinging, isn't he? Shoot. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Boy, that's a big one. <laughs> Have I not seen him? Are you not my work in the Lord? Interesting. Verse number two. If I am not an apostle to others, at least I am to who? To you. Because you are the seal of what? My apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those, watch this. My defense to those who examine me is this, colon. <laughs> he is about to throw down. He, he's, he's about to say, okay, uh, am I not an apostle? Uh, he's going Medea on him. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> am I not an apostle? Look, we're about to have a conversation. I mean, there's something not right. This doesn't smell right. First, you're going to lead in with a question about marriage. I get it. I'm addressing that. Then it's me offered to idols. So you're saying that you basically just want to do things that are convenient for you, even though they're, uh, that might be uncomfortable for others. And now, guess what? Guess who they're coming for? Paul. Now, they're talking about him. They're talking about his money. Does that, that doesn't, it's a good, where's our finance committee? It's a good thing that doesn't happen in 2021, does it? We're not concerned with pastors and their finances, not at all. Okay, yeah. It's an issue. We still hear it today. People are still contrary today. People are still focused on the wrong things today. It's about to get real. You think it's getting a little, uh, it's about to get worse. <laughs> Hold on, let me get a sip real quick. So he's going to defend himself. Does anybody get that? Verse number three, he's gonna say, hey, my defense to those who examine me is this. Let's just read it a little bit. Verse number four, I like what he says here. Don't we have the right to eat and drink? <laughs> my man. Don't we have a right to eat and drink? Don't we have the right to be accompanied by a believing wife like other apostles? The Lord's brothers and Cephas. So that right there, I thought that was pretty cool. That's how we know that Peter was married and traveled with a wife. Isn't that okay? So what I love about this too is we see that, that Paul, even though he was single and said, that's, that's how I'm gonna do it, guess what? He was okay with other apostles doing what? Doing it different. And that was their what? Right. So Chapter 8, 9, 10, and 11 are all about Christian freedom and where those rights are and where they are not. He says, don't they have the right to do that? Verse 6, or do only Barnabas and I have no right to refrain from working? So he brings the context back into refraining from working. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of the fruit? Who shepherds a flock and does not drink from the milk of the flock. Am I saying this from a human perspective? Watch what he does here. He br brings in the Old Testament. Am I saying this from a human perspective? Doesn't the law also say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle a what? An ox 
while it treads out grain. Is God really concerned about oxen? And this is the piece of, look, if he, we're gonna sing, we're gonna sing Jireh next week, just so you know, little teaser right there for worship. Worship may last an hour next week. I don't know, we're gonna see what happens. Uh, but, but in that song, it's look, if he dresses the lilies, if, if the Lord decorates the trees and, and nature as we see it, how much the more would he not take care of you? And, and so Paul is saying that if it's not good to muzzle an ox because the ox is going to eat and that will give him strength to what? Plow, which will give you what? Production. Then don't you think the Lord is worried about the pastor and his family eating and drinking? Because if the pastor is not cared for, then what? then you're not gonna have the message that's helping transform your life. Okay, all right. We're, we're doing good. We're gonna just keep walking right through this, tiptoeing through the tulips here. Is God really concerned about oxen? Isn't he really saying it for our sake? Yes. This is written for our sake. Because he who plows ought to plow in hope. He who threshes should thresh in hope of sharing the crop. If we have sown, I love this here, if we have sown spiritual things for you, is it too much if we reap material benefits from you? Interesting. Paul is like, okay, mm, let's think this one through. Now, I have to give you the rest, the, the context here, right? Remember what we talked about. In the beginning of this passage, we established the fact that Paul was living with who? Aquila and Priscilla. He, he was uh, kind of like, they were living together, in a sense, in that community, and they were doing what? Does anybody remember? They were making tents. Paul was in real estate. I mean, that's kind of what it is, okay? <laughs> so here's the thing. Here's, here's what Paul did. Watch this. Stay with me, y'all. Stay with me. Paul said, I'm, I'm coming to this new area, and we already know. It was the Las Vegas of the ancient world. There was plenty of opportunity. And so Paul thought, well, I, I'm a craftsman in such a way. I have the ability to make money, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to forego my financial freedom of taking a paycheck from this church, and I'm going to make my own living and then that will allow the gospel to spread, will allow maybe, and, and I don't know exactly what he was doing, uh, as far as like, we don't have uh, Paul's finance budget sheet, you know, or balance sheet of what he did with the Church of Corinth's finances, uh, even though that'd be neat to see, wouldn't it be Mike? But, but the point is, is he said, I'm gonna forego my right, and he went and made his own money. But here's what happened. Then they expected it. They at some point became... Uh, became entitled to the fact that this apostle was there earning his own living, and then the expectation was that he would continue. And then what happens? Well, the expectation is, is that everyone will do that. And, and we see this congregation here that now, because Paul, Paul made a choice to forego and step into real estate and make his own money, then now they think that that should be the norm, and that should be expected. You see what's happening here. I'm gonna, there's two really good quotes and articles in the program from a, a really good commentary, and I think you should read those, um, but I'm gonna keep moving. Look at verse number four. Don't we see, uh, I, I'm sorry, don't we have the what? Verse number four. 
Don't we have the right to eat and drink? Here's what we see. Verse number four, pastors have rights, yes or no? Would we agree that the pastor has rights uh, to a financial obligation, yes or no? What do we see from Paul? You guys just don't want to say it. You don't want to say it. <laughs> do pastors have rights, yes or no? Yes. Good, that's great. I feel so much better now. <laughs> Babe, they're going to take care of us. <laughs> this is no reflection on you. You all are amazing. You care for us, and, and, and you do it so well. Uh, it, but it hasn't, <laughs> hasn't always been this way. When we planted Bethlehem, we forewent the right. You know, we were like, yeah, let's uh, spend our savings and buy tracks. That seems like a really awesome kingdom thing to do. You know, DJ, <laughs> you two remember, like, it was interesting. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we are like, well, you have a drum set, and maybe we'll, like, we'll buy th these chords and, like, bare bones. Like, we just got started. It was funny. But, look, everything has its season, and this isn't... The point of this, and here's what it is, it's not for you to figure out, well, how can we pay better? That's not the point. You're gonna see what the point is because when he brings this thing to light, he uses, uses it as an illustration to show them where they are being entitled. So, so, so hang with it. But what we see here is he establishes the fact right here in the text that pastors have, have rights. Look at verse number 10. Verse number 10, he says, isn't he really saying it for our sakes? Yes that it is written for our sake because he who plows ought to plow in hope. He who threshes should thresh in hope of sharing the crop. Verse 10 says the Lord, watch this, is concerned and promises provision for his servants as a right. Do you see that? The Lord is concerned and promises his provisions for a right. I will read this one. In Matthew 10:10, 10, 10, Jesus instructs his disciples to take no provision for their journey. But in Luke 10, 7, Jesus commented in, the, in that the worker deserves his or her wages. The implication of Jesus' teaching for his disciples is complete dependence on God for provision. The whole tenor of Paul's argument in 1 Corinthians 9 clarifies that he viewed financial obligation, that he viewed uh, financial provision, rather, as a right to forego for the sake of the gospel rather than an obligation of obedience to God. Paul's obligation was to preach the gospel. On this matter, he had no choice. So what Paul is saying, look, when Jesus taught, he taught that, that a, a servant is worthy of their hire. In other words, if someone works, you should what? You should pay them. But he also said, take no provision. And we know that Jesus himself had not a pillow to lay his head. Foxes have holes, right? He, he's, he's talking about, but the Son of Man has no place. So the point is, though, it is the right and the plight of the pastor and the disciple and the minister to make that decision and have that discernment, right? If the Lord says, yeah, do it this way or do it that way, it, it, there is... There is room on both sides, but what, not, what is not up for debate is the message. The message is to be preached. The gospel is to be preached. That is the priority. And so what Paul is saying, I have the right to take a paycheck or to not take a paycheck. I do not have the right not to preach the gospel. Are you with it? Are you with it? Here's where it gets pointed for me, right? 
Christian Freedom Exploration, chapter eight through chapter 11, but watch this. In chapter eight, this is what I found so interesting. As I pushed back from my desk this weekend, I, I was pondering and thinking on this, and I'm like, how, like, why did he make such a sudden boom? Like, he did, you see it? You sense it? He was like, hey, guess what, y'all? I'm about to defend myself. Why do you do that? Here's why I think. Here's what the clarity that I had in this moment. In chapter 8, if you, uh, it it is you may not want to do that thing because of who it will affect. Remember chapter 8, meat offered to idols. You might not want to do that thing because of who it may affect. You might not want to eat that because of who. You, you might not want to do the thing because of who it will affect. That is the pastor to the people. But here's what I see in chapter 9. The people to the pastor, this, this is the message. Who do you think you are? You don't deserve the thing. And Paul's like, oh, yeah, I do. Just because I know how to make money, just because I know how to make a tent and sell it, isn't your business. I, I forego the right to take a paycheck, not you. Do you understand what he's saying? Why did he, do, why did he make that, that transition? Here's why I think he made it. Listen to this. The same people who think they are entitled to something, me offered idols, will be the same people who judge on what others should and should not be entitled to. That's why I think he did it. The same people who say, I shouldn't have my measures. This discount. The same people say, I, I want to live that way. I want to do that thing. I can do this. I can do that. The same people are the ones who will literally in the same breath turn around and say, why do you think you should have that? It never stops with them. Do I struggle with the spirit of entitlement? How much do you judge others on what they should and shouldn't have? That's what happened. Chapter eight, let me explain to you biblically why it shouldn't matter. Chapter nine, let me tell you where you're wrong. And I'm gonna use myself as a personal illustration. That's what he does. (laughs) Y'all okay out there? Y'all all right? It's rough, but it's true. Oh, is it true? The spirit of entitlement is crippling our churches. Why? Because comparison is killing our society. We're on our phone. Oh my goodness. Did you hear what he got? Did you see what she got? That should be me. (laughs) That should be you. We have to like, like, mm, 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 mm. excuse me, fighting with this mic today. Do people ever make decisions anymore for what's right for their family? Do people ever pray anymore and consult the Lord and say, what do we actually want and need? Or is it always, did you see what they got? We gotta, we gotta get busy here. <laughs> Let's start working overtime. Who's picking up the extra hours? We heard the Joneses next door are kind of making some room on us. <laughs> it's the truth. But we don't do it like the proverbial neighbor next door. Everyone's our neighbor next door. We see it all. This is why I'm not an avid poster, my wife, my wife or I. Why? Because we don't need to live our lives that way. Guys, I just took a poop. Look at it. <laughs> Guys, I'm going to work. Guys, I'm... 
That was a little much, sorry. <laughs> Everything is on social media. And, and oh my goodness, what's next? We're gonna compare that? I'm just saying, we've lost our minds. We've lost our minds. And you think, this isn't preaching, Pastor. Yes, it is, first of all. Don't you tell me what preaching is and isn't. If he's gonna get that crass with them in chapter nine and be like, what are you talking about me? I make my own paycheck. And let me explain to you why it should be your responsibility. But I did this for a reason. Who do we think we are? I'll tell you who we think we are. We think we're entitled to it. That's why we do it. Parents with children and grandchildren, and we think that because, and here's the problem with it all, and we're gonna see, that this is gonna go somewhere. This is gonna land, and it's gonna land hard. And Paul is gonna like, he's gonna even use a fighting analogy. It's really good. But we have to first admit it. Right, confession, repentance, and then forgiveness, right? It, it's, it's a flow. If we don't accept the things that we have done and admit them, then there's no, there's no foundation for forgiveness, right? It, it's how it works. It's the progression. If we don't admit the fact that we are entitled jokers, I could use some stronger words than that to maybe get your attention, but we are entitled and until we like let that ooze into our spirits and the Holy Spirit to say, yeah. You know, sometimes we grieve him. Sometimes we grieve the Holy Spirit. In other words, we put him in his place instead of letting him have the place. And, and in that moment where the Holy Spirit's like, hey, what about, we'll talk next week. But what's gonna happen between now and next week is you're gonna just continue down your path of damage. Holy Spirit, just this one purchase, just this one thing, just this one program, just this one conversation. Like we have got to stop. And listen, I'm not picking on you about your social media. I, I mean, whatever, have a time, live your life. But you have to see that the design of the whole thing is to create a monster, and you can't deny it. Why, because there's series on Netflix that tell us that. <laughs> so my, my point is this, is like, we all need to stop right now and evaluate our hearts and say, am I living in a spirit of entitlement? What is it right now that you want for your next thing? Is it a job? What is it that you want for your children? I want my child to do this. Is that really because you want them to do that and you think that's gonna add to their character and their gospel-centered perspective? Or is it because you're vicariously living out your childhood through your, through your kid? I never got to do it. Are you being an entitled parent in that? And then you're gonna have an entitled child that said, I've been watching you do this for years. I'm a pro at it. This is a problem, okay? All right, let's move on forward through the rest of the message. Here's what I see. I see chapter eight, it's the pastor to the people, and he's saying, look, you, you need to watch if a thing is becoming more important than a person, because if that happens, then you're gonna start telling people what they can and can't have based on a spirit of entitlement. Lord, help us repent. If we could stop right there in this sermon today, I think we'd be okay. And just sit in this and, and evaluate our lives, and I think you should. I think you should spend some time and have some deep conversations with your significant other, if you're single, with the Holy Spirit, 
and, and just really seek the Lord on that. But I'll say this. What is the best way to fight the spirit of entitlement? I'd be a pretty sorry pastor if I led you to the spot and said all of you are a bunch of entitled sons of guns. See you next week. God bless you. I'm not, I didn't bring you this far to leave you here. Like we need to cross the finish line and see what does Paul say is the answer? What is it? I got it. I got you right here. Here it is. Number one. You ready? There's only two. Write them down. Screenshot the program. Whatever you got to do. Number one is this. Value should be properly placed. The gospel is the most valuable. How do we... How do we keep from the spirit of entitlement? Well, the first thing, what is actually valuable to you? If we are able to quantify what value is and then scoped our perspective from there, then maybe the way we live will contribute to that kingdom instead of this one. Why? Because number one, how do we fight this spirit of entitlement? Why is Paul in the first place having to say, I'm about to... Get in your tushy for the next 10 verses, and I'm about to, I'm, here it comes. Why does he have to do that? Because they're entitled. Well, how do we fight that? Paul is saying, this is, a, this is an issue of value. You don't know what's valuable. You, you're literally having a problem with paying the pastor. You clearly don't understand that you're receiving more spiritual value that, that is more important than the monetary, monetary value uh, that money has. This is an issue of value. What is up with this generation? It's an issue of value. When our kids value a gaming system more than a book time where they read with their mom and dad, we got a problem. We got an issue. We need to make a turn about it. If, if they're more excited to spend time alone with their phone than they are at the end of the day where we gather in their bedroom and we read books together and we talk about and, and we go through the Chronicles of Narnia and we read it and we discuss these topics of life. That's valuable to me, infinitely more valuable to be able to sculpt my children, uh, sculpt them in the gospel and train them about what scripture says over something that I can put in their hand for cheap entertainment. We have a problem with value. Infinitely more valuable is your marriage and your relationship as you picture Christ in the church. When you say, I bring value to the church when we submit to each other, when we love and respect each other, rather than step out on our spouse. That's a spirit of entitlement, and it should be rebuked and repented of. This is where the rubber meets the proverbial road. It's an issue a value if you valued the gospel infinitely more than we would consider. And look, once again, the mistake would be to consider this about money or about a thing or about whether we have a kid or don't. Or Paul is like, Peter's married, God bless him. Apollos is doing his thing, making money on preaching engagements. No, just kidding, I think he would. But, you know, he's like, I'm doing my thing. We all, we all have to find our gospel value and what the Lord wants for us to do. In other words, it's not gonna look the same for everybody. But if we are constantly comparing, what are we doing? We're trying to make it the same for everybody. We're trying to go, you shouldn't have that, I should have this, I shouldn't have this, you should have that. That's not the point. 
do away with this spirit of entitlement. Look, some of y'all, I'm gonna hit this again because I feel like the Holy Spirit's telling me to. Some of y'all need to just log out for a while. Take a season away. Take three weeks away and just see if your perspective shifts and changes. Just see if you go, oh, wow. (laughs) I feel way better. I feel lighter. I feel like I'm valuing things differently. Listen to these scriptures, you ready? All the teens are like, no, no, don't log out. Let me keep my phone. (laughs) I'm speaking to your parents, don't worry. (laughs) They're like, and this is what goes on when we're in teen time, shoot. Value should be properly placed. Here's some just, right here within the text, verse 25 in chapter nine, Paul says this. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we, an imperishable crown. Verse 14 of Romans chapter 10. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How how then shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Paul is saying you should infinitely value the the proclamation of the gospel because if that doesn't happen, then folks don't get saved. Verse 14 of the same text. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. What, What am I doing with this verse here? We can properly, here's what I want you to see what Paul is doing we can properly connect everything that we do to the gospel. Check this verse. For if I preach, verse 16, Paul says this. For if I preach not the gospel, I have no reason to boast because I am compelled to preach and woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. That was Paul's concern. Paul's concern was not finances. Paul's concern was the mission. And here's what I'm saying. Pastor Matt, how do you, let's put this, put the jelly on the bottom shelf. How do I value the gospel in my life? You connect everything to it. Everything. Everything. Like we have the capacity with scripture to connect our relationships to the gospel. What do you mean? In a moment that you're at work, this is just an illustration here. In a moment that you're at work and you don't agree with maybe a supervisor's decision. And you have a coworker that you can be critical of that supervisor too. And you can say, I just can't believe, right? And you could cut that leader down in that moment. And you could show that in that moment you were right and they were wrong. That's an option. And then you guys can be angry and mad and all of those things together. Because that makes really good sense. Why would you want to be angry and mad alone? We can do life together. We can be mad together, and you can have matching clothes with your coworkers and be mad together. Or here's what it could look like. You choose to forgive even when there's a wrongdoing. And you exercise instead of a fruit of the flesh. Look, does anybody need help getting mad or angry or throwing a temper tantrum? Does anybody need help? I don't. I can do it right now on command. You wanna see? (laughs) None of us need help sinning. We, We were conceived in sin Romans 5.12 is still in the book. Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin and so death passed upon all men. I don't need help sinning. I'm really good at it. What I do need help is not sinning. What I do need help in that moment is I say, Holy Spirit of God, can I have your fruit? Can I pick a fruit of peace? Can I pick a fruit of long-sufferingness? Can I pick a fruit of forgiveness from your tree and eat of that in this moment so that I can share it with someone who doesn't have the Holy Spirit? 
And in that moment, you can show love when you should have, your flesh is telling you to show anger. Watch this. That's you plugging that coworker's relationship to the gospel. Even if your coworker doesn't know Jesus, they're gonna go, that's not how I would have what? Reacted. But if you infinitely value their soul and what the Spirit of God can do within your coworker, you will connect that relationship to the gospel and you will let fruit begin to grow in their life. That's how we value. Oh, but no, it's so much better for me to be right. I infinitely value my voice to be heard. You value that more than you value the gospel. But see, we're, here's, here's where the rubber meets the proverbial road again. You ready? We're unwilling to entrust our work, our relationship, and our finances to the Lord. What if they don't know I'm right? Maybe I won't get that promotion. Maybe they won't treat me as, as the coworker that they should treat me. Watch me. Are you valuing how people look at you more than you're valuing the gospel in that relationship? This is practical stuff. This is where, this is where it all comes together. Look, and I could go on and on and on. With your children, that perspective, you, you, you feel me? We'll shut it down here. Value should be properly placed. The gospel's most valuable. Here's the last one, number two. Number one is value. Say it with me. Number one is what? Value. Turn to your neighbor and say, I value you. That was weak. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> you don't value me. <laughs> Some of y'all need to bring the Holy Spirit to that marriage. Real quick, Steve. Real quick. Bring him in. Call an audible. I'll throw you some fire, fresh wind, fresh fire. Here's the thing, number two, value is the first part. Paul says, look, it's important that I preach the gospel. Let's look at the last part of the text together, and then this is how we'll close. Look at it with me. Uh, go to verse number 22. To the weak I became weak in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that I might by every possible means save some. Such a good verse, but let's look at it in context. Now I do all this, all what? Setting my agenda aside. He says, now I do all this for what? Because of the gospel. Because of the good news. So that I may share in this blessing. There's that other work, threshing floor mentality. I love it. He continues to use it. Now watch this. Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the what? The prize. Run in such a way to win the prize. Verse 25, now everyone who competes exercises self-control. Don't miss that. In, in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable. So I do not run like one that runs aimlessly or box like one that beateth the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after my preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. KJV puts it this way, and I will not be a castaway. That's the context of that verse. I've heard that verse quoted so many times in so many different ways, but what in the context is it? It's this, it's number two. Victory should be properly defined as this. 
our self-control for his kingdom control. Our self-control for his kingdom control. What is, here it is, what does a win look like? How do we beat the spirit of entitlement? How does the spirit of entitlement not win in this generation or, or with our children? I don't want them to be. Goodness gracious, it's difficult. But, but how are we gonna win? How are we gonna chase the spirit out of our church where we are just mainly concerned about the gospel and not stupid stuff? Look, there are churches all over this area, all over our country that we'll meet this morning that, you know what? They're more concerned about the color of the carpet. They're more concerned about the church budget than they are how many visitors and how many baptisms and the people that God is working. I do not want that culture here. If it becomes that, love y'all. God bless you. <laughs> See ya. Have fun with it. Because <laughs> I know how that plays out. How do we win, though? Paul says, look, you ready for this? You, 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 you ready? This is how you win. And this, it's so important that you win because for us, it's a crown that's incorruptible. Look, we, we have Olympians. There's been some news around Olympians lately. We'll leave that one out of this sermon today. But here, here's the point. They train hard because there's only one winner. And yeah, don't tell your kids that everyone's a winner. That's garbage. I'm like, You're a winner, sweetheart. No. You're a loser. You did not win. What the heck is wrong? We have a spirit of entitlement because everybody thinks they win. How does, you're entitled to a gold ribbon. No, you're not. You're entitled to going and practicing and working hard. So you can come in here and compete. Good heavens. What the heck? Sorry, where did that come from? <laughs> Obviously, I didn't win anything as a child. And it's coming out. One piece at a time. <laughs> Number one, value. Please tell me I'm valued here. Number two, victory. Look, we have to see what a victory is. We've got this so backward. What's a victory? My bank account. I stack my money. Look at it. My car, my clothes. It hurts, it really does. It hurts me when people attach themselves to possessions that will one day. What happens, <laughs> we talk often about, Sarah and I just, we chat about how far we've come, you know, in a sense of like our marriage, our children, our life, and like what the Lord has done in our lives. And it's fun, like we love to talk about it. <laughs> There's been so much, it, it, it's just crazy. But our value is not tied to things, it's tied to each other, it's tied to the gospel. And so if, if we're not able to define a win, and here's what Paul says, look, check this out. I beat my body into subjection. A win, a win is when I have self-control. Here's what he's saying. Remember the whole context of the conversation. It was his what to not take a paycheck. It was his what? Yes! It was his choice. I'm, I'm winding it down. Stay with me. Don't miss this. The value is that I preach the gospel and the victory is when I make the right choice. Yes, every time. Come and get some. If a runner is going to train, if a boxer is going to step into the ring, it's infinitely more valuable for you to train, for you to not be lazy in this area, for you to not figuratively pound the desserts before you're, you're going out to run a race. 
it's infinitely more valuable for you to learn to connect things to the gospel than for you to do it on your own, Church of Corinth. It's infinitely more valuable for you to be okay with other people's choices in their freedom in Jesus than it is for you to analyze and be disrespectful and critical of those choices because all they're doing is trying to make the decision that they should make so that the gospel can be at the center of their life. You know, sometimes people aren't concerned with stuff. You know, sometimes people fall on hard times. Sometimes people excel in other areas. And do you know something? In every season and in every situation God has placed you in, you have an opportunity to show the gospel. You can show it through humility in your success. You can show it in your acceptance and your suffering. It's a beautiful thing. Paul said this, I have learned, Bill's like, let me, let me let you in on my life for a little bit. Let me show you what it's like to accept the gospel. Look, Paul says this, I have learned in whatsoever what? Stay I am therewith to be content. Here's the victory. Making that right choice. Making that right, what's the choice? The choice is this. Our self-control for his kingdom control. Value and victory should be two things that are weighed and lived out according to the Holy Spirit within and our gospel witness without. Here's the question. Are you measuring and calculating these two things based on comparison or based on the truth of the gospel? That's so good. Sit in that for a minute. Oh, stay with me. Are you measuring your value in your victory by comparison or by the gospel truth in your life. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you how I measure it. The Lord set his affection on me. The Lord loved me. The Lord found me in my sin. And he picked me up and he planted my feet and he established my goings. He didn't have to love me. He didn't have to find me. But he told me that I was made in his image and that I'm infinitely valuable in him. Not in what I can do. Not in what I can produce. Not in what I can show. My value and my victory is found in who Jesus is. Not in what my name is. He's given me a new name. Oh. Yes, good one. I, I just want all of you to be like, yes, I get it. I feel like Francis Chan in this moment. Uh. Here's my thought. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm shutting it down. Value and victory today. Can we please cut the spirit of entitlement out of our life? Can we please be okay with each other's success and failures? Can we be happy for each other? Can we be there for each other? Can we love one another? Can we love each other in this thing of value and victory? Can, can we do it today? That's what Paul's after. I'm after a prize that cannot be corrupted. That's the gospel. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Thank you for watching and joining us for our church online. I pray this experience was just what you needed today. If you made a decision for the Lord to follow Christ, or if the Lord did something in your heart that was special today, we would love to hear about it. Post it in the comments, send us a message, and we'll reach out to you. Have a wonderful week, and God bless.